Today I want to talk about one of my favorite subjects to talk about uh, more and more and more. Um, and I know uh, some time ago, some weeks ago, uh, past, your pastor preached about the ascended Lord. I want to talk about the return of our Lord, the return of Jesus. Um, growing up in church, uh, my father was a pastor, and so we just basically lived in church. And it was back in those days where they seemed like they found a way to have church every day. And, um, and, and they stayed in church, you know, for hours. You know, we could start at 11, and you ain't have good church unless you got out around 3. And then had to come back around 6.30 for evening service. And so if you had homework, we had to do our homework in the church. And, uh, but during those days, I remember the old saints used to always talk about the Lord's coming, that the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming soon, they would say. Uh, Andre Crouch wrote a song, Soon and Very Soon, uh, We're Going to See the King. And we know the Lord is coming soon because Jesus himself said those very words, I am coming soon. And I want to start this message at Acts, I want to start it at Acts 1, 9 through 11. And I'm going to parenthetically insert multiple scriptures into this message for the sake of the message. Because um, I really want to talk about and get us in the mind frame that Jesus is going to return. And the reason why preaching and talking about the return of Jesus, it is to keep us in a mindset, to keep us with our hearts always focused on his return. I don't know about you, but anytime I hear anything like a loud trumpet sound, I look up and say, is that Jesus coming back? <laughs> Amen. And uh, there have been times where I knew my wife was home and, and, didn't, and I knew she was in a certain place and I looked, she wasn't there anymore. I said, hold up now. I know. I know the Lord ain't come and left me <laughs> here. Our, uh, our mindset should always be, that Jesus is coming soon so that we can have the posture, not only of waiting for him, but the posture of living holy. Because as my old grandmother would say, you don't want to catch him. You don't want him to catch you with your works undone. Be ready when he comes. She used to always tell us that. And so growing up hearing those words, it reminds me even today that the, the world and the culture that we live in, it is so jacked up and crazy. Amen. Um, we may not know the day or the hour, but according to the scripture, we can know the culture. The Lord has given us enough warning in scripture to know what the culture would be like before his return. Acts 1 and 9 says, and after he said this, he was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. Right before that, Jesus told his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. That's Acts 1 and 8. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He said this, and on the 40th day of the resurrected Lord being on the earth, he left them with those words. Ten days expired between uh, that moment 
and the day that we celebrate now, which is Pentecost, Pente, 50, 50 days after the resurrection of our Lord. And this day represents the day in which the Holy Spirit came to live permanently and, and, and reside here on the earth. We see the Holy Spirit at work at times and in different places with different people in the Old Testament. We see him first in the Acts, uh, I'm sorry, in Genesis, the first chapter, right at the beginning. And the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the waters. Uh, just recently, my wife and I got away uh, on a cruise, and uh, I made sure that our room had a balcony because I just wanted to go out there and look at the water and, uh, and read my book. And I was reading a book called The Supremacy of Christ. And, uh, and while looking at the water, I said, man, the Spirit of the Lord, this is where the Spirit of the Lord was hanging out, right? Right as creation uh, was happening, and we see him at work in our lives today. And one of the main jobs and function of the Holy Spirit is to prepare the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the believer, for the return of the Lord Jesus. The day of Pentecost was also the beginning of the last days. Peter stood up. In Acts 2.17, he said, and he was quoting from Joel, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young, your, your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. This, what y'all hearing, what you're hearing in the upper room is representative of the work of the Holy Spirit and that the last days are now winding. We've been living in the last days for almost 2,000 years. Theologians, um, especially uh, chronologists, don't always agree on the dates, um, but the dates that I've seen as the most popular from uh, uh, <coughs> of when Jesus uh, finished his work and ascended was either 80, 29, 80, 30, or 80, 33. One of those three years typically uh, theologians, many theologians agree, was one of one of those three years. But be that as it may, if it was 80, 29, it has been 1,994 years. Uh, if it's 80, 33, it has been 1,090 years this year um, that Jesus has ascended. And so we're almost at the 2,000-year mark, whatever that means. Now, we do know uh, that from Adam to Christ was somewhere approximately 4,000 years. We know that from that time to now has been approximately 2,000 years. And so it's been about 6,000 years approximately from Adam to now. And the Bible says that the day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. So in the Lord's mind, in the prophetic years, this is the sixth day. Now, we don't know when the Lord is going to come, but we do know that on the seventh day he rested, whatever that means. So we live as though Jesus can come now, but we also live as though he might come not yet. It is the now and the not yet. I'm going to live my life so much now that I'm looking for him to return. But you know what? He may not come for another hundred, five hundred, or a thousand. Who knows? 
But we do know that the culture is going to be jacked up before he come. And I don't see how it can get any worse than what it is now. The 10th verse says in Acts 1 says, while he was going, they were gazing into heaven and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them, um, which we believe were two angels. And they said to the disciples, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Now, the angel said that to the disciples. Well, if I was a spectator uh, and I was to ask a question, how can we know if Jesus is not here, if he has ascended, if I can't listen to him anymore, angels or whoever you are, how can we know that what you're saying is the truth? How do we know that we can trust that prophecy that Jesus will return? I'm glad you asked, so let me just walk through this for a minute. Biblical prophecies foretold years. Many of the prophecies were foretold years before it happened. Approximately 2,500 prophecies appear in the pages of the Bible. About 2,000 of them which already have been fulfilled to the very letter with no errors. Let me give you a few examples. Sometime before 500 B.C., the prophet Daniel proclaimed that Israel's long-awaited Messiah would begin his public ministry 483 years after the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. You can read that in Daniel 9. He further predicted that the Messiah would be cut off, killed, and that this event would take place prior to a second destruction of Jerusalem, which took place A.D. 70, came to pass. Approximately 700 B.C., the prophet Michael named the very village in Bethlehem of the birthplace of Jesus, Micah 5. And we know that happened. Some 400 years before the crucifixion was invented, both Israel's King David and the prophet Zechariah Describe the Messiah's death in words that perfectly depict that mode of execution. Further, they said that the body would be pierced and that none of the bones would be broken. One of my favorite chapters, Psalm 22, I declare it looked like God gave David a front row seat to the crucifixion of Jesus uh, some 400 years before it happened. And, of course, it starts off where Jesus utters these words on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sixth verse of Psalm 22, he talks about, I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. Matthew 27, 20 through 23 confirms that. Psalm 22 and 7, he said, All who seek me will mock me. They make my mouth they, they make mouths at me. They wag their, hat, their heads. Matthew 27, 29, 39 confirms that. Uh, Psalm 22 and 8 says, He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. He delights in him. Matthew 27, 41 through 44 confirms that. Psalm 22 and 11 says, Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there's none to help. Matthew 26 and 56 confirms that. 
Psalm 22:16. For the dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They pierced my hands and my feet. John 19:37 confirms that. Psalm 22 and 18 said, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Matthew 27, 35 confirms that. Christian scientists say the probability of that being, of that, of that being fulfilled was 1 in 10 to the 13th power. Now, I, I stopped at Algebra 2, so I don't know what all that means. I just know that it has to be a big number. Finally, as I walk through history, approximately 700 years before Christ, Isaiah prophesied that a virgin shall conceive and to name him Emmanuel, Isaiah 7:14, and that a child would be born, a son would be given, and to call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Notice he said a child would be born but a son would be given. He didn't say the son would be born. He said a child would be born, human nature. Son would be given his divine nature. Theologians call that the hypostatic union of God, Jesus Christ being fully man and fully God. And Isaiah told us about it 700 years before. In other words, I went through all that to tell you, you can trust what the Bible says. Jesus said in Revelations 22 and 7, look, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. The 12th verse, he said, look, I am coming soon. And my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. In the 20th verse of Revelations 22, the very last chapter of the Bible, he testifies about these things, says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, if Jesus said it, he only had to say it one time. But the fact that he said it three times before, he would cause the canon of Scripture to close. Means that when we read this last part of the book, when we read this last chapter, you can be assured that Jesus is coming soon. Now, soon to us is in a couple of days, in a few weeks or a few months, but soon to the Lord could be a thousand or a couple of thousand years. Who knows? But we do know he's coming. And what will it look like in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18? It says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ. We'll rise first. That's my grandparents and my parents and all those who love the Lord and live for him, they getting up first. And then the Bible says, then we who are alive, still alive, and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. The last verse says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage. That means what Paul is saying through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is, y'all need to be talking about this. Y'all need to be encouraging. When, so when people say, man, I'm having so much trouble. This life is full of trouble. Yes, I know, but Jesus coming back. Right? 
oh, you know, I'm, I'm still going through this pain. I know the Lord may heal you, uh, but eventually he's going to heal you, whether it's now or whether it's later, right? Because he's coming soon. We should be thinking about it, talking about it. Jesus' return should be on our minds every single day. Coming soon means shortly, suddenly, without delay. And that is not going to be postponed. But guess what? In the midst of all that, the people who are going to go back with him has to handle the most important question ever asked in Scripture or the most important question ever asked to humanity. And that is Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus asked his disciples the question, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? What say ye of Christ? Who is he? However one answers that and however one responds to that will determine their eternal destiny. Jesus became man so that he can operate in three distinct roles to accomplish three distinct purposes. Let me lay it out for you. Why did Jesus come the first time? He came, first of all, the three offices that Jesus have, is, or will operate in is prophet, priest, and king. When he came here, he came in the past, he came, and each one of those offices is tied to a human ruler. So his prophetic office, the Bible says he would be a prophet like Moses. Moses was a deliverer. One, Moses the one who brought them out of captivity, and Jesus died on the cross and brought us out of the captivity of sin. And at that point, he delivered us from the penalty of sin. But why did Jesus leave the first time? He had to leave because he had to transition to his present role. So, you know, Jesus could say, if Jesus had a resume, it could look something like this. Let's just say AD 33 is the year. He could have a resume that says from, from AD 30 to AD 33, I was prophet. Then I changed my role. AD 33 slash to present. It is his priestly role. He transitioned to the role as our priest when he ascended. And the person that he ties his priestly role to is a gentleman by the name of Melchizedek. For he will have a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. And the reason why he, he, Melchizedek, because he's the only other person in scripture who was both king and a priest simultaneously. So Jesus is presently sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, praying for, he ever lives to make intercession for us. And now, after, in the past, he delivered us from the penalty of sin, but now he is delivering us and protecting us from the power of sin. And he's given us the gospel for it. Paul said in Romans 1 that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. You want to live this life out? Read the word. 
Hide the word in your heart. Understand the word because the word of God is the power we need to overcome sin. The other thing Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But guess what? It is the power of God to us who are being saved. So we are saved or have been saved and we are being saved and we will be saved. I want y'all to get that. By one offering. What did you say, Jeff? What's that favorite verse we used to quote all the time? Hebrews 10. By one offering has he perfected ED in the past forever those who are being sanctified. I call it two wheels on a bicycle. I'm as perfect as I'm ever going to be, but since I still got issues, he's still working on me. Yes, I'm perfect, but he's still working on me. I'm perfect. He perfected me in the past. Amen. He saved me in the past. He's saving me now from the power of sin. And in the future, that third role that he operates in, he has to come back because he has to end his priestly role. And when he returns, he will then operate in his kingly role. And he will sit on the throne of his father, David. He's not operating as king now. He's operating as priest. But we will crown him as king in the future because he will deliver us from the third P, the presence of sin. So he dealt with the penalty. He's dealing with the power of sin. And then in the future, he's going to deliver us from the presence of sin. He is going to return. And when is he returning? We don't know, but we just know that Jesus gave, he gave him Matthew when they asked him the question, when will you return? What will be the sign of your coming? The first thing Jesus said is take heed that no one deceives you. Meaning that the spirit of deception will be so strong and rich in the last days. People will be deceived. And even if it were possible, the very elect could be deceived. That's how strong deception will be in the last days. There will be wars and rumors of wars. You know all of that. Nation and people and people groups will hate each other and rise up against each other and famines and earthquakes and earthquakes in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for earthquakes is not just what we call earthquake, but it is anything that brings a shakening or a violent storm in the earth. So tornadoes could be considered as earthquakes or anything in the weather that brings, the, uh, that brings a shakening in the earth. We're going to see an increase of that when Jesus returns. But all things, all these things are birth pains. False prophets will rise, and sin will be rampant everywhere, as Jesus said, and the love of many will wax cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And who is he returning for? Second Timothy 4 and 8, and I'm closing. And now the prize awaits me. Paul said, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return, 
And the prize is not just for me, but for all who are eagerly looking forward to his appearing. There is a special crown. Paul ties the crown of righteousness to the believer who is just simply looking for his return. Looking for him to come back. I look for Jesus to come back. That's why I don't, you know, I, I, I love politics and I will vote and I will get involved. I got some people in Atlanta trying to get me run for office. I say, no, man, I ain't trying to lie for nobody. You know. Because, you know, I'm going to tell it straight. They got me out there. I'm going to tell it straight. I said, but no matter who is in office, who gets in office, the one thing that I'm assured of is that God rules in the kingdom of men and that everything is moving by the power of God. He told Daniel, I'm the one in control now, but I'll give the kingdom to whoever I want to give it to, including, including the lowliest of people. So you can have some crazy people in office and God want them right there. Because everything is going to contribute to the things that must happen before his return. So don't get, don't get bent out of shape because who's in local office or who's in state office or who's in federal office or who's in the White House or who is in Congress or who is in the Supreme Court. God is in control. God rules. And guess what? We rule with him. Eventually, God... My brothers and sisters, we're going to we're going to judge angels. We're going to judge angels. We're going to be ruling and reigning with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so, let the joy of the Lord be your strength. Let God's presence in your life give you joy. Don't look to what's going on in the world. Don't look to what's going on in Washington or in Tallahassee or downtown Orlando. Look to Jesus, the Bible says, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, suffering the shame for all of us. I'm looking to Jesus. I'm looking to him for everything. He may not always respond the way I want him to respond. There's been a few times in my life I've been mad with God, and he knows it, but he puts his big God pants on every day. He knows how to handle my disappointments. I done had moments with God. Lord, I prayed. God, I've been walking with you. I've been serving you. How in the world am I going through this? Well, you want to know what people went through? Let me talk to you about my son, what he went through for you and for the rest of the world. Okay, Lord, you're going to play like that now. Lord, I know you could heal. I watched my praying, spirit-filled mother die and get eaten with cancer. I know God could heal her. And when she left this earth and gave us her benediction, she closed her eyes. I had to ask myself a question in the midst of my tears. answered that question correctly I dried my tears and I said mama is in the best place and the place that she's always talked to us about she is in the presence of the Lord and we don't grieve as other people do as folks who have no hope 
without hope is in Jesus. And as I talked about my precious mom, I think I want to pull up her last words to us. My mom's benediction. I had my phone out and we recorded all of the words. She was trying to get words out and she was very weak and we didn't understand much of what she was saying but she uttered these words about 7 16 p.m. Wednesday night May 20th last Saturday was her three year death anniversary but before my mother left here as weak as she was with me and my siblings her sons who are pastors, our wives, our children, and many of our grandchildren huddled around that hospice bed. My mother said these words, and I'll leave you with this. She said, God bless you and keep you all the days of your life. If you have any trouble, he will give you a way to escape. I love you, my family. May his blessings be upon you all the days of your life, your marriages and your homes. Train your children up in the ways of the Lord. That's the only thing that matters. Jesus is the only thing that matters. When Gabriel blows his trumpet, I want all of you to fly away and meet the Lord in the air. I love you always. May his blessing cover and protect you, all of you always. Grandma and Mama loves you. Amen. Have a good night rest. Pray that I have one too. Good night everybody. Love you forever. And with those words, my mom had to go through here. And she left To watch for his return and to be ready when Jesus returns. My mama taught us how to live and she taught us how to die in the Lord. And I pray that I could do the same for my children and for my grandchildren. And I pray that I can have the privilege of my grand that my grandmother had before she died. She saw five of her great-great-grandchildren. At one point, there was five generations of outings on the earth. And I pray I can live long enough to see that. As I leave you today, I'm going to the hospital, and I'm going to do what I've always done with all of my grandchildren. On the day that they're born, g goes in and tells everybody to move out the way. Give me my grandchild, and I pray a blessing over my grandchild. And I'm going to keep that tradition today and pray over my grandson and that God would keep him and all of them, and may they come to know Jesus at a very early age. Jesus is coming back. Look for him. You can be assured he's going to return. I'll say this, 
and I'm going to my seat. Be ready when he comes. God bless you.